Uh, well, good morning, you guys. My name is Chris Nider. I'm the youth pastor up at the Crosswinds Spirit Lake campus. I, I know most of you, know a lot of you, and uh, I'm down here a couple times a year. I love coming down to visit you guys and to, uh, I like to preach. I also like to sit and listen, so it's always fun to be down at, at uh, Spencer. Um, we've got kind of a weird, or maybe weird's not the right word, but a, a different sermon today. Uh, it's, it's faithfulness protecting your marriage. And so I got to kind of explain to you what, what's got us here because we're kind of getting out of a series real quick. Um, I was asked to preach at a church over in Esterville next week. They've, their pastor has left, and so they're kind of filling pulpit, and they're going through the Ten Commandments. And so this church called me and said, Chris, can you fill in? I said, I love your church. I'm always here for you. Put me down. He goes, you might want to know first what it is. I said, well, what is it? And he goes, it's the Seventh Commandment. And I kind of go through it in my head. Oh, adultery. Okay. So, so I'm signed up to preach at this church next week on adultery. And, you know, I'm starting preparing it last week. And then uh, uh, I got the really sad news about Jordan's father. Jordan, condolences and prayers. We're praying for your family. And, um, and I just reached out and said, if I can help anyway, let me know. And there was a need for pulpit fill today. And I was already halfway through a message for next week. And I said, well, I can sure just plug that in. And I'll tell you, I say it's a weird sermon, only in the sense that, you know, it's, it's not something I'd pick as a one-off for myself. It, it doesn't usually fit in there. But I think this is actually a great and important topic to hit on on an annual basis, maybe several times a year, marriage, faithfulness, pouring into your marriage. So uh, don't count this as, as a lost weekend. I think there's a lot to look at here. So with that said, I'll pray for us, and we will jump in. Lord, we just come before you, and we thank you for the chance to gather. Um, we pray for everybody here. We pray for the kids and children's worship. That would go great. And we pray right now as we look at your word, and we connect it to today, and we look at some application, Lord. I just pray that, uh, Lord, I pray that this would speak. I pray this would speak to everybody in some way, and that it might even speak to a few in a very important way, a very, very meaningful way, Lord. May, may marriages be saved today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so next week when I preach this, I will start in the Ten Commandments, and then I will spring forward to the New Testament and Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't got to do that today, so we're just going to open right up to Matthew 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and here Jesus takes this very short command, thou shalt not commit adultery, any he expounds on it, and it's, it's great teaching. It's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew, 25, or Matthew 5, sorry, um, we're going to be in verses 27 through 30 today, and with that, I'll go ahead and read through this, 27 through um, 30, and, uh, and then I'll go back and we'll kind of break it apart. So hopefully you're there, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. I'll be reading out of the ESV, English Standard Version. Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your, eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell, okay? And what I want to do is kind of pick this apart a little bit verse by verse. So the first thing I want to look at is there in verse 28, and I've gone ahead and underlined this on the next slide, and it's, it's got a yellow tint to it. You got that back there? But I say to you, but I say to you, so here Jesus is doing something that Jordan can't do and that I can't do, and that's come to something in the Bible and say, well, I'm going to improve on this, okay? Because he's addressing this command, but the religious leaders of the, of the day had kind of gotten off track or they'd missed a lot of the point. And so Jesus is kind of pumping the brakes and he's saying, look, 
I want to get us back on track at this. Now, the next slide, I've got a picture up here of a few places we go for advice, okay? But I want to tell you, what we're looking at here, this is Jesus speaking with divine authority. This is not the opinion of an opinion editor. This is not the opinion of a counselor or somebody on TV. This is not even, this is one of my favorite preachers and Bible teachers, Matt Chandler. This isn't his interpretation of the seventh commandment. Jesus is saying with divine authority, here's the deal. And can I just pause real quick and just tell you, when we're watching Jesus teach or we're in the word, it carries that significance. The word of God is not just another idea to be put up there with the advice of friends or with the advice of culture. It stands apart as authoritative. So first of all, Jesus is pumping the brakes and he's saying, look, here's the deal. I want to get us back on track on this. Now, let's go to that next slide. I've got some verses, and I did this as a quick study. I just wanted to see how many times were the crowds or the people listening to Jesus just amazed, just in awe. And that's kind of a fun study to do sometime, where you just type in the keyword amazed and go through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus just stopped people in their tracks. There were, there were so many of them. I just pulled three of them. I'll read them to you real quick. First one comes at the end of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus finishes this in Matthew 7, and it says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes or their religious leaders. Can I tell you, you know, and, and you could ask any pastor, any preacher this, some sermons are better than others. Some feel like home run A pluses. Some feel like bunts or strikeouts. But there's never, and I've had some good ones, and I've had some bad ones, but there's never been one where I got like a standing ovation at the end, and I just walked out to the car feeling like, man, like I saw astoundment in their eyes today, okay? Jesus kind of gets that like all the time, okay? So he finishes up this one, which, to be fair, this was probably the best sermon by the best teacher ever. I'm going to go forward a little bit. He's preaching at his hometown, Matthew 13, verse 54. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now, this is a tricky one because Jesus is going back to his hometown. Remember, a prophet's not usually honored in his hometown. Jesus goes back to his hometown, and these guys are sitting there. And I think we kind of get this in small town Iowa, like some big cities don't. Like, they knew Jesus growing up. That's Joseph the carpenter's kid. Where did he get this? Who taught him? And Jesus just knocks their socks off. One of my favorites, one of my favorite uh, times where you stop and see how people responded to Jesus was when Jesus was being trapped. There were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they were trying to trap him. And they were asking him these tough questions that there's no easy answer for. So they set him up and they're trapping him. And they ask him, you know, who do we give taxes to? Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus really doesn't have an easy or a good answer. And yet he drops an answer on them that leaves them with their jaws dropped. They have no answer. In fact, it convicts them on their lack of heart for God. So before we jump into Jesus kind of straightening out this seventh commandment, let me just say, Jesus brings it he's the authority of god the authority of deity it's in the bible and it carries weight with that said what was jesus getting them back on track with well over time in the old testament times they started to look at the seventh commandment you shall not commit adultery and they really started to focus it more on like you like like a guy that committed adultery with a married woman had almost like stolen a property 
from the, the woman's husband. That was almost the take they took, the, the, the direction they went was, you know, it's kind of like you took something that wasn't yours. You took his, his, his donkey or you took his this, you took his that. That's not yours. You shouldn't have taken that, but you did, and that's wrong. So how are we going to fix this? And Jesus is like, okay, definitely there's a commitment and, and a belonging to one another, but that's not all of it. You have missed the main point. So let's get to this next slide here. Jesus says this, verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. So Jesus just quickly links us to, you know what? It's about lust. It's about what's going on in your mind. It is not just about property. If we can get to that next slide, I put this down. Jesus is speaking, and he's more concerned with purity than with property. And that sits well with me. I cannot imagine when something as, as out of bounds as adultery happens and coming upon it like, oh, how do we pay for this? How do we make up for this? I've got a picture up here. Who can, who can tell me? By the way, if you've never heard me preach, I'm kind of like, I talk to you, okay? I ask you questions. Who can tell me what this is? Think in 1980s, though, okay? 1980s. Okay, some of you are like, okay, some of, yes, I love it. I'm seeing it. Raise your hand. Who can tell me what this is up here? I got to have somebody tell me. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Dave. It's a boombox. I was hoping I would get boombox. Some people, you might say, well, it looks like a radio. No, no, no. It is not just a radio. This is a boombox. And I'm going to tell you what sets a boombox apart from a radio. One of the worst inventions of all time. Oh, my goodness. This thing, it has a handle on top. Okay? Those of you that work out with, like, an, an iPhone or an iPad or iPod, that, that handle was so you could lug that around to like the basketball court, around town, okay? This was the beginning of the career of chiropractic, okay? Was, was when this happened, chiropractors came into business. And, and I, there's pictures, you guys, you young people can Google this. They would like tie it to the front of their bikes and drive around. I don't know if any, I bet Dick did that, right? You got it tied to the front of your bike. I'll tell you, the worst thing was you get that on your shoulder and the two speakers are just taking out your right eardrum. And so it's, it's, it's not the best invention ever, but I share this with you because I had a boombox in the 80s. I was, it was mid-80s, and I was like eight years old. But for me, the boombox overlaps with, with what is my most personal experience with adultery. Uh, when, when I grew up in, a, in a, uh, well, a product of an affair. So my father, my biological dad, was married. And my mom has an affair with him and gets pregnant. So I grew up never knowing or meeting my, my biological father. And when I was in uh, first grade, my mom started to date a, a, a guy who was in his 20s uh, named Matt. And Matt and her were only married a couple years. But I, I got to tell you, it was the first time in my life I'd had a dad. I loved it. Um, and I didn't even know I missed it until I had it. And, and, and I, I loved Matt. And uh, after two years, only two years of marriage, Matt came to me one day and he said, Chris... Um, I have bad news, bud. Your mom and I are we're going to get a divorce. And Matt, again, I, I, I'm not angry with Matt, but, but he was a young guy, like mid-early 20s. And he didn't know what it was like to be a dad. He didn't know how to do a divorce. And he did something. I look back, and it's like, what a bad move. But Matt, Matt in his attempt to make things better with me, he said, Chris, I'm going to give you my boombox. And to Matt, that was like his greatest possession. But I remember as like an 8-year-old, I mean, an eight-year-old, a, a second grader, maybe a third grader, thinking, are, are you serious? This is your attempt to fix what's going on right now? Is your give me a boombox? And then I, I found out later that Matt had had a girlfriend. He had cheated on my mom. And, and I'm just going to tell you this, church. 
There was never a point in my young mind at, at, as eight, an eight-year-old or in my mind as I grew up that I thought, if only Matt had given me more, that would have fixed what Matt did. Like, there's not a price you put on that. Was it a car? Was it 20 grand? It's, it's not like that. Because we know, if any of you, and I'm not going to ask, but I know you guys, some of you have been on the short end of the stick of affairs. It is not like somebody took property from somebody else. It cuts deep. And it hurts and it wounds. So one of the things I love about our Jesus is he just doesn't mess around. And he's like, look, uh, the property thing, you've missed the mark. It's about a sin. And it's about a relationship and a broken relationship. So, so with that said, um, let me get back to the text. And you can look back down again. I'm going to finish verse 28. I'm just going to start from the beginning and read it all the way through. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and this verse should be up there, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And now Jesus links what has before been considered like an outward sin, like I did it, it was done, and that was a sin. And he says, you know what? If nothing physical ever happens, but the thoughts were there and the desire was there, you've committed it, you've committed adultery. And he, in a sense, raises the bar to where he just, he's not playing games with this. And we're going to look at why. But it's a huge deal. So with that said, he, he throws that out there. Now, I'm going to give us one more point here. If we can get to that next slide. It's not just about a lustful action. He extends it to lustful thoughts, and he connects it to an issue of the heart. A few years ago, I went through a Bible study. Led on, uh, it wasn't online, it was a DVD with this guy, David Tripp. I've heard Jordan mention him in, in sermons before. David Tripp is an excellent Christian counselor. He speaks in churches. He's an advisor for, for Christian churches. And I was in a Sunday school on parenting with David Tripp. I, I'll tell you what, a lot of the classes I took in school, a lot of the Sunday school classes I've been through, a lot of Sunday school classes I've taught, I remember principles. I don't remember individual things. I remember so much, so much of what David Tripp taught. And on one of the lessons, he shared a personal story of his own. I think it was Thanksgiving, it might have been Christmas, but his family had to get together. And he, as a child, was at this family get-together, and his uncle was hitting the alcohol, and his uncle got very, very drunk. And his uncle, after he got drunk, started using language that wasn't appropriate around kids. He start, well, it's not appropriate at all. He started saying things that weren't appropriate, and he really made a fool of himself. But he was just saying things that were totally out of place. And David said his mother came downstairs, found out about it, and she gathered her kids up. I think she chewed the uncle out, and then she got the kids in the car. And as they were driving home, she said something I will never forget, he will never forget, and I hope you never forget. She told her kids, this is biblical truth right here, she said, what came out of his mouth today, that didn't get put there by the alcohol. That was in his heart. The alcohol just opened his mouth to say what was already there. That's so biblical. It's not what we put in, it's what's in there already in the heart that comes out. And the alcohol only loosened up the mouth for him to spew out what was already in there. So guys, Jesus is not in the business of merely saying, hey, don't do the act. He's so much more interested in your heart. Your heart with God your heart with your spouse, your heart with others. And I, I love that about our God. One more thing I want to put here, then we'll get to the last couple verses. Um, next slide, if you would. After diagnosing the problem, 
Jesus gives a radical and extreme solution. Let's go back to the verses, and I'll just start in verse 29. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell itself. Now I want to tell you, it's right there on the bottom of the screen. This is to be taken so seriously. Not literally, but so seriously. If we took this literally, uh, Spencer Campus, every church would have a pretty major ministry to blind people and people without hands. Right? We don't take it literally, but he's using hyperbole to emphasize the, the importance of where our heart is at. And so that's what I want to look at as I'm going to, and just to set you up for what the rest of the message looks like, okay? Uh, the first part here is really digging in and just seeing what it says. I did underline the right eye and the right hand. The point is, he's talking about probably your dominant eye and the hand that most people use as their, as their dominant hand, okay? Uh, a lot of times I'm kind of thick-headed and Jesus needs to say things a few times for me. I'm kind of like Peter. This is not one of them, you guys. Like Jesus didn't say, hey, Niter, it's your right hand because that's your important one. He could have said, look, if you do this, cut your pinky finger off. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. You mean business, Jesus. But he's going for it. He's saying, look, we're not fooling around. So with that said, I'm going to give us, we've kind of looked at the interpret, uh, the. The, the observation part of this. What's the Bible say? I want to turn the corner to the interpretation. This is where we bridge the scripture and say, okay, I get what it meant back then. What's it mean for today? What's it mean for today? So I'm going to give us just a few uh, what does it mean, okay? What are the big ideas? Let's go to the next slide if you could. First of all, he's touching on the sanctity of marriage here, people. You cannot miss this. From the seventh commandment to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's getting at something very important. Marriage is the strongest earthly reflection of the relationship between God and his people. It's the strongest one. He uses father-child and he uses husband-wife. But this is the strongest one. It's the one relationship that requires exclusive commitment. You can have many kids and you can love them all the same. Or you can have favorites, but you can love them all. You can have parents, several parents, several grandparents. You love them all. You can have great bosses, many that you like, workers. Any relationship you want to look at. But there is one relationship where it is specially set apart. It, that person, my wife Bridget, is the only one I love the way I do. And that's all there is to it. And vice versa. And the world has just lowered the bar on this. We can't do that, Christians. We can't do this. I've got up here the view, and just for full, full disclosure, I, I'm not a fan of the view, the, the morning show, the view. Um, that's, not, that's not usually where, where, where I, what I watch or, or what I agree with. But there was one episode of the view where a celebrity, this is probably three or four years ago, this celebrity came on. It's a lady, and she starts talking about her marriage. And the celebrity shares with the ladies of the view how she's in what's called an open marriage which means uh, her and her husband are married, but they allow each other, I'm just going to use the word romance for us, okay, to, this morning, to, to be romantic with anybody they want to. And their whole angle on this is true love doesn't say you belong to me. True love doesn't say you only can love me. True love lets them love whoever they want. And this lady is saying this, and she's, she's telling this to the ladies of The View, and I'm watching it, and the ladies of The View, which just, I'm not getting political, but just socially, they're very liberal, right? They're very open to everything. The ladies of The View are sitting here like, are you serious? Like, that's not going to work. 
There's no way this is going to work. And she's like, oh, no, it's great. And can, can I just tell you something? That is not what biblical marriage, it's like the opposite. Biblical marriage has a virtue called jealousy, where I love my wife in a way, it's not overbearing, it's like, I love you, and I belong to you, you belong to me, and we're going to be jealous for each other. And remember, it symbolizes that relationship with God where he's jealous for us. So first of all, this has to do with the sanctity of marriage. Second thing, if we can go to that next slide, that'd be great. The standard is faithfulness. The standard is faithfulness. It's not just not cheating. So when my wife and I got married, we came to the front of the church, right? We stood right up here, and a pastor married us. I just had a friend, Chuck Babbitt. Some of you guys know Chuck. Chuck was in town this weekend marrying two of his former students. Chuck just says, these two people come up here. Do you know what? Their vows were not this. Dear so-and-so, I promise I will never cheat on you. That's not the vows that I'll never cheat. That's not nearly enough, men. That's not nearly enough. Ladies, that's not nearly enough. The vow is I will cherish you. I will love you. I will honor you. I will respect you. This is not about this low-level, lame, uh, I didn't cheat. Do you realize if I go my whole life and never cheat on my wife, but year after year I think about other ladies, I look at stuff I shouldn't look at, I wish I was with somebody else. Do you understand what a, a, a bad husband I am? I don't get some award in heaven for never cheating. And Jesus just doesn't play that game. He doesn't play that game. So the standard is faithfulness. It's not just not cheating. Third point here. What are the big ideas? Number three. Jesus says to take extreme measures to avoid starting down that road. Um, when I was in seminary, when I was in Bible college, I had an instructor named Dr. Zuber. I've actually shared this at this church once when we did the parking lot service, but I think there was like eight of you there, so I'm going to share it again, okay? So if eight of you remember it, thanks for being fans. Um, Dr. Zuber, before he was a, a prof at Moody, he was a pastor, and he had a couple come to him for counseling, and their marriage was about to fall apart. It was about to fall apart. They, uh, the main problem was she, was she was home a lot and she was watching. I mean, he had diagnosed it with all these soap operas. And in her eyes, her husband was an average guy. He wasn't beautiful. He wasn't dramatic. He wasn't, you know, doing all this stuff. He was just a normal guy. And she wanted somebody like, you know, like the soap operas. And Dr. Zuber realized that. And he's just like, that's not fair to your husband. And of course, the husband gets resentful because he's like, I'm not lifting weights every day. I got a job. I don't, I, I'm not saving kids from burning barns. I'm, I'm, you know, you, you get what I'm saying? This poor husband, is, he's got like the standard. The, the poor wife is like, man, I want all this and you're not it. And finally, Dr. Zuber counseled him, counseled him. And finally, his advice was this. He said, look, I think, I think you've got one last thing to do. And it's serious. He goes, I want you to go home and I want you to get the scissors out. And I want you to go to every television set in your house and you cut the cord. And this was back before we had the flat screens where you could just like replace the cord for five bucks. Remember the, remember the TVs? That like is, yeah? Cut the cord. We're talking they'd be out hundreds of bucks back then. By this day standard, it would be like thousands, right? Cut the cord on every TV. And the husband and the wife look at each other like, whoa. And, and they kind of look back at Zuber and he's like, no, I'm serious. And they look back at each other and they said to him, they go, is there anything else we can do? Because that was too extreme. And Dr. Zuber, slightly frustrated, said to them, well, you can gouge out your eyes. 
Because his point was, what are you willing to do to save your marriage? Are four TVs too much? Men of Crosswinds, we do whatever it takes, not just to save the marriage, to be the husband we should be. Ladies of Crosswind, we do whatever it takes, you do whatever it takes, to, to not just save the marriage, but to be a great marriage. With all that said, I've purposely stacked this message to be about two-thirds, one-third. I'm going to transition into 10 points of application. Please listen to me. I very rarely do this many points. It's usually two, three, or four. But there are so many angles to come at this. Please look at me. My request of you, for most of you, and I tell my students this all the time if I've got a lot of application, don't remember all 10. You don't have to write all 10 down. If there's one or two that are great takeaways, do that. And if most of you are blessed to have one or two things that take your marriage from maybe a three to a five, fantastic. If it takes it from an eight to a nine, fantastic. Look for one or two things, people. The other side of this, and I've been praying for this. In a church this size, there's a chance that there's a couple of you that you're not doing great right now. I hope there's one or two couples in here that this message, you, clean, you just cling on to one or two, three or four things. And I pray that that makes the difference for the 5, 10, for the rest of life. Because we're not playing games right now. Jesus wasn't playing games, and we're not playing games. With that said, I want to take the rest of my time and do 10 takeaways. Get to this first takeaway, if you would. That's perfect. See how the top is green? The first four are going to be positive takeaways. These are things we do proactively to protect your marriage, even if you're not married yet. The first one is this. Love God first. Find a spouse that loves God first. I'm going to say that again. That's, this is the first commandment. If you get this one right, you push the first domino, the rest fall into place. Love God first, most in your life. And I tell my boys this. Guys, you don't even think about starting a date until God is first in your life. And then you don't get a date until you start looking for ladies where God is first in their life. Okay? Here's the deal. Looks will fade. Okay? If all you're looking for, and this is what we're taught from society, is to look for the looks, those fade. In fact, they don't even have to fade. You could be dating a really attractive girl. Somebody else comes along, might be more attractive, might be better, have a better day. You don't trade up. You, you don't do that. Looks will fade. Second, personalities will disappoint and deceive. I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to somebody and they say, that's the, the guy that I married, that's not the guy. Like, the guy that I dated, this is a different guy that I'm married to. And you know what the advice actually is? Is that's actually the right, that's the guy. All you saw was his best foot forward for a year or two, okay? You saw the best of him, and now you get the rest of him, and it's hard. So guys, there will always be ups and downs. Quick side note. If you know Kathy and Clay Norris, I had them teach at our youth group a couple weeks ago on, on um, marriage. We're going through a series, Love, Marriage, Baby Carriage, so they taught on the marriage. They do a phenomenal job. And it's funny, they pick these Everybody Loves Raymond videos, and their, their presentation, the whole presentation is basically this. It's going to be rough. The longer you've been married, the harder you laughed at that. It's tough. And they were just straight up forward with it. So here's the thing. You want to marry somebody who's even more committed to Jesus than to you. Because when you're having your really bad days, or they're having their really bad days, or you're both having really bad it's not about you. One of the coolest weddings I was ever at was uh, my last pastor. His name's Joel Jorgensen. His daughter, Alicia, his oldest daughter, got married. And as part of their vows, she said to Connor, her husband, I, I promise 
I will always love God more than you. And Connor said that to her in his vows. Do you get the maturity it takes to say that? To say to your wife, I promise you'll never be first. But that's where you want to be. So number one, if you're a teenager in here, a young adult, you're dating, you're thinking about dating, that's, that's a gold nugget right there. Um, number two, practice commitment to God's standards of purity before you get married. I'm going to read a verse. 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Um, one of the best ways to have a marriage that does not have romance outside of the marriage is to date and be engaged in a way that doesn't have romance before the marriage. When you're dating and you're engaged in such a way it says, our commitment isn't just a faithfulness to each other, it's to God first, that's a really good indicator that a person will be faithful to you because first they're faithful to God. So that's a big one. Number three here, and these are the, the green ones still. Remember to keep back house. Uh, one of the wildest conversations I've ever had in my life was with a guy. It was, uh, don't try to figure out who this is, okay? It was at the last church I was at, and some of you might know. It was a guy whose uh, wife was kind of declining mentally, and she was sometime a little bit erratic during a service. And there was a Sunday where she was just, when I say out of line, I don't mean she did anything wrong, except that, that she was speaking up out of a conviction, but it was like the, probably the bad time, and it was awkward for everybody in the church. And I remember doing lunch with the guy that week, not to talk about that, but just to talk. And I remember as I was talking to him, I kind of asked, how are you doing with things from Sunday? And he said, and this was one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had with, had with a, a man of God. He just said, Chris, you know, uh, he goes, I know my wife is a mess, but she's my mess. And, and I love her. And I'm just, my goal right now is just to do whatever I can to support her and help her. And I loved it because he didn't get embarrassed of her and throw her under the bus. He didn't say, I'm so sorry, this, that. He said, I love her. And, and he really came back to kind of like the vows, you know, like, like this is not the best time right now. This is one of the hardest. She's my wife. It, it spoke volumes to me, volumes. Let me keep going with the fourth one here. Number four, invest in your marriage. Hey, hey newlyweds especially, but this is true for those who have been married seven to 10 years, those who have married 15 years. Do date nights. One of the best things your kids can ever see is mom and dad going out the door because they love each other and they're best in the relationship. Don't get so busy parenting or running kids to every sport on earth that you don't date your spouse. Another one here, and there's so many of these. I just, I just rattled off a few. Retreats, if you can get away to one retreat a year where it's just you guys, or maybe it's a vacation where it's just you two. That might seem so hard to do because of the age of your kids. Try to make it happen. It's really important to do that. I've got one more here, which is counseling. So you need to know when you need help, and if you need help, there's no problem. My wife and I have gone to counseling. There's no problem. There's no judgment on that. Get help. Be humble enough to say, boy, we, we could use some help on this one. Counseling. I've got a, a slide up here of the movie The Blind Side. And The Blind Side, can you raise your hand if you've ever seen that so I just kind of have an idea of who I, I might be getting there. To begin the blind side, there's this great monologue where the, the, the mom in the movie, Sandra Bullock's character, is talking about in football, and boy, did this, was this true the last week, right? These quarterbacks are making so much money. And she said, in all honesty, on any professional football field, 
the quarterback that's going to be the most valuable. Might not be the best player, but probably paid the most, the most valuable player. And she said, just like you write your mortgage, but then right after your mortgage, you write for house insurance. She says, one of the most important players a team can have on it for the football team is that guard that protects the quarterback's backside or the blind side. Okay, because that's where they're not seeing. And they need to have this covered so nobody gets in there and hurts. It's not about sacking your quarterback. It's about hurting your quarterback. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you, like, in love but in seriousness, fight for your marriage. Do whatever it takes to invest in your marriage. This is your first priority as a relationship. So uh, those are the green ones there. Let's keep going. I'm going to get on to this, uh, this yellow one. The yellow one is more of a, hey, these are cautionary measures, okay? Do these to prevent things. Do these to, uh, to stay healthy. Let me get to this. Number five, share social media accounts or have open access. I don't mean y'all have to. I know a lot of friends. Uh, it's the husband and wife share a Facebook account. But what I'm saying is this. You should never have to hide or delete messages or IMs from a partner. If that's happening, you're starting on a bad path. That should be a total flag to you. That might even be something you just confess. Maybe nothing's even happened, but it's just like, you know, I didn't realize that's not a good route to go. Be aware of that. Be careful about reconnecting with people online. I hear this all the time. Somebody dated in high school, didn't work out, got married to somebody else, but they become Facebook friends, and all of a sudden they're meeting up or they're talking, and something happens. Just, just be careful. Be only defensive. Number six, be careful of emotional affairs. If you feel like you have somebody at work that is your work wife or your work husband, it's not a good idea. You might have somebody you work very closely with, but you shouldn't start having uh, feelings or, or really kind of connect with them. If you have a best friend of the opposite sex and you're married or dating, not a good idea. I remember one time there was a girl that just started dating a guy. She goes, well, he's jealous. This, this is a high school thing, right? So this is a different level. But he's jealous. Why? Well, I'm best friends with these guys. I go, well, I mean, I know you're best friends, but if you're dating him, he probably ought to become your best friend. I just said, you know, when you get married, there's no way your husband's going to want you having best friends that are guys. And, and that probably goes both ways, you know. So just be aware of that. Um, if you have someone in your life that you think understands you better than your spouse that's, that's the opposite sex from you, be on guard of that. And last, um, and, and I didn't know how to put this, so I just used my terminology, but if you're ever in a position where you just find yourself being too fond of somebody, maybe you're readjusting your schedule so you bump into them a lot or you're thinking of them a lot, there's just this point, like I have a kind of like a meter in my head where I'm like, oh, I got to watch it because I really like that person, but I don't want that to ever get past friendship. So just be aware of that. Be on guard with that. Let's go to the next slide, if you would. Point number seven. Be willing to make radical decisions to protect your marriage. Uh, when we go to see a movie, my, myself, okay, I'm a 44-year-old pastor. It doesn't elevate me above anybody, but it's just saying I try really hard to be pure. I try, um, I'm old. You know, like I, I try really hard to not uh, see things that I don't need to see. I'll tell you, when I'm going to a movie, I don't think I'm beyond being tempted by stuff. So I have a website called Clearplay and, and plugged in where if we're renting a movie, I'll get on Clearplay and we can edit the movie. If we're going to a movie in the theaters, I check plugged in and if there's any sort of nudity, that's out. It doesn't matter how much I want to see that movie. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see it. So have some, uh, have some movie software, maybe phone and computer protection. Uh, I have two friends in my life right now. One is a pastor, one's an elder and, and you don't know him, but the one pastor doesn't have a smartphone. And I told him one day, why, why don't you get a smartphone, man? You got this like, phone from the 90s. And I was, Chris, it, it would not be good for me and my marriage. I knew exactly what he meant. 
So he had the maturity to say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Another friend only has a computer in open areas because he had a problem in the past where he was looking at some stuff he shouldn't have been looking at. And he just realized, you know, I, I don't need that in my bedroom or my den or my office. I'm going to have it right out here where everybody can see. So the point is this, you guys. Put up the boundaries you need. One last one here is um, maybe you need to change relationships. This, this story came out in, in 2013. Fort Dodge, Iowa, dentist made national news. There was this dentist who fired his assistant for being too pretty. He was in a, uh, you know, he was the owner of his business, and he was attracted to her, and he realized he was a Christian. He went to church. He realized he was flirting with her and was really attracted to her, and his, his pastor said, you need to make some extreme moves or you're going to have an affair. I don't necessarily agree with this guy firing his assistant. I thought that was kind of, you know, th- that was kind of low. But he made an extreme decision to end that relationship for the sake of his marriage. Regardless, the point is this. Be willing to make radical decisions. Number eight, pray and remember scripture. I'm going to share with you one that I go to often. If I'm ever starting to feel tempted, and, and I mean tempted in one of two ways. Tempted because I'm being, becoming too fond of somebody, like, wow, I really like their personality, or tempted just by visual things. Proverbs 7, in fact, if you do the discussion questions, if you're in a small group, I ask you to read through Proverbs 7. The whole thing is about a man who is led astray and into a romantic relationship with a woman who's married and not his wife. And the verse that always sticks out to me is verse 22. All at once he follows her, and as an ox goes to the slaughter. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And I just think, get away from this quick. Because what does this do? There's always three things I think. Number one, what would this do to my kids if I went down this road? If, if guys, if you, ladies, if you want to be creative about thoughts, don't think of the lustful thoughts. Think of the tragedy that comes from chasing those. What would that conversation with my kids look like? Am I going to offer them a boombox? I'm not going down that road. What would that look like to have to tell that to Bridget? What would that do to God, my God, who forgives perfectly, but I don't want to grieve God like that? Guys, as an ox is led to the slaughter, so this man follows this lady. Number nine, have an accountability partner. This might be one of the strongest blocks against having an affair, is to have a friend in your life that you can go to and just say, uh, I'm about to do something stupid. And he can say, yeah, you are. Knock it off, okay? I've got a verse up here, if you could put it up. Ecclesiastes 4, I'm going to read through it, verses 9 through 12. King Solomon said this. By the way, King Solomon... One of the smartest guys to ever live, King Solomon, had a lot of wives. I don't get that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask about that in heaven. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Ladies, have people in your life that love you enough to tell you if you're about to do something stupid. Be honest with them. Men, same thing. Um, the last one, I'm going from yellow to red. And, and I want to say this very graciously and very gently, but this is really serious. If you have committed adultery, including adultery of the heart, I would suggest that you confess it and take the appropriate actions to avoid it in the future. If you've done something. Again, we're talking the full act or the heart thing. I can, I'd recommend you confess it 
and you take appropriate actions to not do it. If you are currently going down that path, you're starting down that path, take every action you can. I mean, fight this thing. Fight it on the mat of prayer, but do everything you can to not continue down this path. Like the ox goes to the slaughter, that's the path you're on. And lastly, and, and, and I love you as I say this, if you are currently in a season of life where you are struggling with lust or adultery in any form, I lovingly encourage you to stop, confess it, and to get help to get away from it. This is your number one horizontal earthly relationship. Fight with everything you got for it. Um, I'm going to wrap up with this. The good news. The good news of this is um, as messy and as hurtful and as terrible as adultery is, the good news is we have a God who saves and who forgives. And so I, I love that about our God. There's nothing beyond him. You look through scripture, the people he worked with, and he made instruments of his. So if you've been down this road, if you've been hurt by this, if you're on the receiving end of it, I want to encourage you to do business with God, to be forgiven, and to try to reconcile. Um, if, if the marriage is done, ask forgiveness or give forgiveness. If, it's, if you're still in it, try to reconcile. I, I'm going to wrap up very quickly with a picture of, I think this is Phil Robertson, um, Duck Dynasty guy. You know, he shared, he's very open in his testimony about how before becoming a Christian, he cheated on Miss Kay. He was a bad husband. He said that very openly. Um, a few years ago, it came out that he had a daughter out of wedlock. Well, it, he was married to Miss Kay, but he was cheating on her, and he had a daughter with another girl. And I got to tell you, in the craziest way, it was so refreshing to see a Christian out there who was so open about his failures that when a love child from out of wedlock came forward, it didn't blindside him. Instead, he said, well, I told y'all, I was bad. This is what God's redeemed me from. I'm not that guy anymore, but I did that. And it was like, man, God just used it to show um, when we get our sin, first of all, we try to avoid it, but when we get it out there, we're honest about it. God can use it in so many amazing ways. And so I want to encourage you, if you've been down this road, on, the, on either side of it, um, go to God, forgive, ask forgiveness, be healed from it, okay? Let me close some prayer and we'll wrap up with the song. Lord, we just come to you and we thank you. We thank you for your design for marriage. We thank you that it represents the relationship you want to have with us. Jesus, I thank you for your teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and I just want to thank you that you're jealous for us. I want to pray for our husbands here that we would be good, godly husbands who aren't just faithful and that we don't cheat but we're faithful and that we cherish our wives and the same for the wives lord i pray they would respect and love and honor their husbands so we ask this in your name we also real quick we admit we can't do this on our own would your spirit enable us help us lead us in this amen